0: know what that means then we're just gonna have to jump right in far away let's do it I'm happy me too it's been oh let's go ahead and start it right welcome everyone Ben has despite great advice to the contrary returned (laughs) and we're gonna be talking about a few different topics tonight uh it's good to see you, man. It's
1: good to see you. It's been a while since I've actually physically seen you. Right? I've been yeah.
0: seeing you on the live streams, but nothing in person. Uh-huh. It's yeah. crazy. It is. It's you look weird. good. You haven't
1: gained like the corona weight no. or... I'm holding steady, at least. Yeah? Yeah?
0: <laughs> and I don't see the scraggly corona beard like, no. I, like I went for. That was I'm, fun.
1: I'm bathing and trimming of the beard. <sighs> I got to get back into bathing. Yeah, I knew tough. I was missing something. It's tough to get back to it. <laughs> yeah.
0: Oh, my goodness. And... I'm always jealous of your hair, but that's just because you have some. That's right. Right. All right. Well enough, you know, flattery, right? <laughs> <laughs> Since we last spoke, I mean we there was no way we saw the next couple of months coming. No. Because we recorded in January. Yeah. And here it is, June, coming up on the end of June. Yep. Don't know when this is gonna come out. It might be July. Might be tomorrow. Who knows with the way I like to edit sometimes. <laughs> Um, and I mean, January, we were talking about what it was like being a pastor. <laughs> That's right. Like day one. And I, I couldn't help but think this had to be like day one all over again. What's it been like as a pastor? How are you coping with this? And what is the hardest thing you've encountered so far about this?
1: Wow. Yeah. It's, it's almost like having your, in some ways, your job description completely rewritten or maybe what you thought it was. Um, because at least as for me, so much of it's dependent on being able to physically interact with people, everything from, <clears throat> you know, just counseling, discipleship. Uh, encouragement to people is best face to face, but then also like the more kind of public ministry stuff like preaching and that sort of thing. That's way easier to do when there's faces in front of you instead of a camera And, 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 and not even having an office to go into where I can kind of feel like I'm on top of what's happening in among the people in the church that was gone my all of my administrative help was gone because i and i didn't realize any of this was happening <laughs> when it, when it's when the I, I was happy about quarantine at first because i'm kind of introverted and i was like well it's fine with me but then i was like i don't even know and i just realized how dependent i was just on like seeing S- susan our administrator which would trigger my brain to ask her things or to, to, and same for her. She would see me and, and then all of that was gone. And, and then I'm just sitting at home and then the, the kids are home. And so there's that complication where I don't have set the same, like set hours in the day where I'm focused on one thing. Now it's, I'm focused on 10 different things at one time. Um, and then on top of that, just the, you know, having to think about, the technical things of okay, I've got to stream. Do I? Do we pre-record and then release it later? Do we try to do it live? Where do we do it from? Where can we do it? I mean, it was just like all of that happening. What felt like in like the span of like seven days, and I had and and on top of that, for me, it was you know I'm the I had the technical ability to to do all of it and so i started immediately just doing it and then realized how stupid that was (laughs) because now i'm doing now i'm like the entire church is on my shoulders is what it felt like um and so all of that just it was like a, a a flood like a flash flood of change all at once and i still don't feel like i've completely i've got my equilibrium back but it I mean, it's just like, it's too much. And then there's this kind of pressure from, I don't even know where it's from. Like that, you know, you have to, you have to not only under like be a statistician because, you know, the government's lying to us. And so you're going, well, what do I do then? (laughs) Right. And, 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 and then there's, you know, you've got to be an immunologist, because Fauci's lying to us and you've got to be, you have to suddenly be able to put all this inside of a Christian worldview all at the same time. It's just, so there's a pressure there, I think that no pastor that I know of has ever been trained for or prepared for to be able to understand charts and graphs and infection rates and and then understand the politics, you know, do I listen to the governor? Do I not listen to the governor? Do I listen to the president? Do I not listen to the president? Um, it was actually easier for me when we were forced by law to do certain things because then I didn't have to make decisions. As soon as (laughs) they said it's unconstitutional to, to tell a church they can't meet for any reason, Then the stress went up. As much as I agreed with that decision, I was like, "Yes, that's great, go Constitution." And then I'm like, "Oh crap! What a, you know, now I'm I have to own my decisions." And that, and people immediately were literally like, my phone started ringing. What are we gonna do? What are we gonna do? We're gonna meet this week, and we meet Sunday. We're meeting Sunday, right? And I'm like, "Whoa, wait, wait, this is Friday." (laughs) You know, Uh So it's just, it's been weird, man. And then, you know, the racism thing. It's like, okay, now you got to, on top of solving a pandemic, solve it. Now you got to solve racism by next week. Why aren't you saying anything? Aren't you going to say something? What are we going to do? What are we going to do? What are we, you know?
0: Silence is violence. Yeah. So now you're acting, now you're being pushed in a way, unfortunately, if you haven't articulated your beliefs and just really thought it out. Mm Mm-hmm. Now you're getting that pressure to say something before it's ready. Right. And that's never good.
1: Never. (laughs) Especially when you're talking, speaking into, and it's the same thing with the virus. You're speaking into this environment now that is just a whirlwind of opinion. And it's not just like loosely held opinion. Every opinion is out there with like it's life or death and and so to and you feel like you have to respond to all those opinions and tell your the people in your church what's true and what's not true and that's you know probably 20 30 maybe less years ago that was relatively simple to do but now there's too many. And so I have to kind of say, I'm not going to try to, I can't try to keep up with all the opinions and have an opinion about the opinions so that when somebody asks me, what do you think about that guy's opinion that I'm able to like, I, I you can't do it. You just have to throw up your hands and say, I'm just going to focus on what God seems to be putting in front of me to focus on. And that's it.
0: Yeah. Because before you know it, you're going to be asked, about the leader of QAnon, or right? <laughs> like, what's your opinion on Chaz leaders right. number two, right? right? It's like, exactly. how, because the information's out there and we're getting inundated with yeah. it. And to your point, it's focused because of what I've learned about digital marketing and the way that it. the algorithms are just sharp. They'll figure out what mm-hmm. presses your buttons. Oh, yeah. And usually it was intended to buy something. Well, I say in, usually, originally. I don't I think it started off as propaganda and they figured out how to make it legal. It's kind of <laughs> what I'm ra- wrestling with right now because yeah. the power there is just insane. It's it's way too much, way too much power. And so every single person on the planet is now, not only are they having all their buttons pushed, but they're mm-hmm. tired. That was something that you and I talked about last time too, which was fun. Um, I hadn't had a pastor on before and I was like, all right, well, it's going to have to be a four hour episode probably just so I can get him (laughs) tired enough to where I know who he really is. Because when you're, when you're not tired, you can pull off being polite or, you know, tolerating people that you disagree with, Mm -hmm. but have like a a real deep seated bitterness against you don't have to address it. You can just fake it long enough. And I'm seeing we're all getting so tired we're buckling. We're starting to show who we are when we're tired. And it's neat to see who's shining. Mm-hmm. That's been really encouraging. But the level to which people are breaking. Um, I mean, we talked about this A guy that I know well, holed yeah. up in his house. I mean, and this is a very genteel guy. It's- super friendly but all of a sudden he was barricaded in his own home threatening to hurt himself and others and he wouldn't have done that if we weren't quarantined for three or four months Mm -mm. you know it's just it it heightens all of that stuff and brings brings it to the surface and you should deal with those things right but people are being forced to deal with them in an atmosphere that is not conducive to their success. Mm -hmm. How are you, what are you seeing in the church body? And I don't just mean in your church, but just kind of across the board. Is there, is it creating a set of extremes or is it kind of everybody's tension rising
1: together? What's happening? I think it seems like it's just revealing what's like you're saying. It's revealing what's actually there, and so if you've, for example, if at least right at the beginning of you know a couple of weeks into all this, just time at home, I I was talking to people, and the thing every it was a common thing. Almost everybody I talked to on the phone would say, you know, the the right before you get off the phone. When the that one moment of real honesty, they would say, oh, hey, um, I just wanted to ask you. Uh, it's like really hard getting along with my spouse right now. And because, you know, the things you could avoid by going to work or being busy that annoyed you a little bit. But then by the time you got home at the end of the day, it wasn't really emotionally at the forefront anymore. And you could just not all of a sudden that escape is gone and you have two people stuck with who they are and what their relationship actually is. And now they're having to face it. And that was common. It was unreal how common that was. And like the first step in dealing with that is recognizing this is not a fluke that will go away when the virus goes away. (laughs) This is actually the reality that I was not, not being confronted with until now. I think that's happening and people's the fearfulness of not having control over my, my, my income or my health or whatever it is, people are actually really afraid of. Like I always think of it like that moment right before you fall asleep at night and you're, it's dark and it's quiet and there's nothing to distract you. Whatever it is is gnawing at you. That little monster just came out to play for everybody and and know yeah, then there's there's people that you realize are just really strong and maybe they didn't know it but they're finding out that they're totally fine and i think that to me it's just exposing um the reality of what's actually in people's hearts i've got true colors stuck in my head right now because it's-, <laughs> it's just playing on
0: repeat now because i mean it's really what we're what we're talking about singing or YouTube will I'm not Yeah, <laughs> I'm just mentioning it might pull it cool. as long as I don't put flat earth in the title of the video though that, I it'll be run into any restrictions that's right I could not believe that and that brings me back I was gonna ask you about you mentioned the government is lying Fauci is lying was that a that's the perspective or
1: is that your perspective I don't Man, I don't even know I I think that's one of the big questions. I think I think we know at this point they've lied to us about some things. I'm not super clear on what they've lied to us about and what they haven't, what they've just withheld and haven't. Um, I mean, Fauci admitting that they said don't wear masks because there was a mask shortage, but they didn't say it was a mask shortage. They said masks don't make a difference. That, to me, is an incredible... Admission that just sort of went right. It's almost like for a lot of people, it just went right by him when he said that recently. And so that to me is the, that's a lot of the the fight going on to me culturally is there's like a worldview shift happening where there's so much, maybe it's because there's so much information, there's so much distrust of any kind of authority, anybody that speaks with any authority, and says, this is reality. There's this, ah, I don't know about that. And, and the problem is they're right enough when they, like Fauci lying, they're right enough that it discredits and it bolsters their opinion that no one can be trusted and we can't know anything. Therefore, I'm just gonna shrug my shoulders, and, and that brings on, I think, a tremendous amount of depression and. When do you feel like you can't know anything um, or trust anything? Or trust anything? Yeah. And that's a scary. That's a scary situation too, and it's it's a hard thing. I think in in the church, you know, it becomes really important to me to like say, okay, I have to be really careful that when I say something, it is actually true. <laughs> Right? Which goes back to like, you know, why aren't you saying anything? It's like, well, I'm not gonna add to the noise. I'm committed to that. And so I'm gonna wait until I've sorted out this little thing that I'm gonna say. (laughs) And that I really believe it's true because it's important to me not to violate people's trust because I know that there are people that will believe what I say. Scary Mm. as that is.
0: Do you feel they are more likely to believe you as a local authority because they know you than maybe before Mm -hmm.
1: yeah that I think that relational like they know me personally thing adds a much higher level of credibility but also that makes the risk higher Um, so if I'm even if I'm typing an email or doing a, a podcast or something you know it's one thing to throw something out into the world and you don't know who's, who's hearing it, it's almost creates this boldness, you know, like who, who cares?
0: Well, that's what Twitter, the, right. the Twitter ranters, that's what they can hide behind. Yeah. They don't have to deal with right. the noise.
1: But when it's like real people in your life, that's a different thing that, and that's part of what's weird about this time is most of my communication right now is, has been virtual, digital, it's been a video or a phone call or a zoom call or, and that there's so much. So it's a strange, I think it's easy to say careless things over that kind of medium, but we forget like we're going to have to be together again. (laughs) Like, and, And so you can't, I see a lot of this like casual careless stuff being thrown around. Uh, you know, on social media I'm going, you know, you're going to have to like, these are people you actually have a relationship with. It's not just people you don't know. And that it, it feels, starts to feel anonymous. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm very curious about what life is going to look like when this is over and what church life is going to look like when this is over. Cause I think there will be people that say, you know, I just don't miss it. You know, I could just do without seeing anyone, <laughs> and maybe they're already kind of, kind of reclusive and going. You know, I don't really like people, but I tolerate them so that I can get my religious fix. And when that religious fix can be had online, even might, if it's not as good a fix, right, right, it's not as big a high, right. It's also a lower cost, right. Like I heard, I've been, these discussions have been happening all over the place with me between, with other pastors where they'll say, you know, it's the easiest church invite in the world. All you got to do is say, click here. There's your, that's, it's, you don't have to get in your car and get your kids in the car and get up early and get to church and then deal with all the awkwardness of not knowing people. And you don't have to deal with any of that. It's just a click. And I'm I'm like, yeah, but that's part of it. <laughs> Right. Right. There's some like even a social barrier to entry to a, 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 a some friction that you have to get over in order to be a part of it. There's value in that. And because if it's the easiest invite in the world, like what does it mean to like join a church? What does it mean to leave a church? If you can come as easily with a click, it's even easier not to click. <laughs> And, right, if that's what we're gonna reduce it to. Yeah. And and so I think all of this stuff that was theoretical for most churches under, you know, a thousand people just a few months ago. Suddenly for little churches like ours, where the idea of being a multi site or online venue was ridiculous. It wasn't even on the radar, cause what why would we do that? you know we can fit everybody in one room at the same time we don't have to have two services why would we think about online and all of a sudden like these theoretical things are and everybody's solving them differently and i don't know what the impact's going to be but i think it's going to be big long term you know
0: there's something that seems to be unique to two people sharing a room together yeah and having a chat it's one of it's i feel like i see it between this style of podcast and just the guy staring at the camera Mm -hmm. podcast. There's a bit because he's not connected as much. He's Mm -hmm. trying, right? Yes. It's it's a hard thing to do. You'd pull it off. Well, I think, but there's no way I pull it off that. Well, I'm going to look at that camera and be like, is that out of focus? (laughs) Somewhere in the back of my mind, I'm going to be wondering, whereas I should just be carrying what is going on in the person's eyes in front of me. And I think we see with more than our eyes. Mm -hmm. I think we see with, Everything, our ears, the tension in the room. I mean, there are certain intangible things that cannot be, at least yet, simulated over an electronic connection. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's There's something that's not being fed, I think, mm-hmm. possibly. And when we come back, I wonder what it's gonna look like. Like, the guy that got really comfortable with being mouthy online, <laughs> Is so he gonna walk away from church with a black eye one day? I mean, like, we're gonna have to learn all this stuff over again in a lot yeah. of ways. But then again, I was at work the other day. This is the first day I've been back to work to do anything. We had a project that just that, that was unavoidable, and it was like we never left. And mm-hmm. that was a bit disturbing. It was <laughs> like, are we just gonna forget that this happened? Yeah. And it's so common, I think, for us to go through a major tragedy. Or a major life-changing event, as a society, I mean, think September 11th. Mm-hmm. The reason we kept saying we'll never forget was so that we wouldn't forget, right? Because we do. I mean, it just doesn't take long. Mm. And what are what's it going to look like when we forget that this happened?
1: I don't know. I think, I think everybody's. Some people will become more grateful for the little moments. I mean I I've, I've been thinking about man if I had known this was gonna happen it's like we had like I was this is what I was what made me think about it, is we the week the way that quarantine landed for us was it was we we had one Sunday where we could meet but probably shouldn't. So it was real vague at first. And then that next week, it was it. Like I said, you can't. And so we were trying to decide if we should meet again. And there were lots of churches that weren't. And we decided just to go ahead and do it. <laughs> right? I didn't even know what was going on hardly at that point. It was happening so fast. So Let's just do it. And it was probably, from a wisdom perspective, was a, was a mistake. But I'm so glad we did. And I remember after that meeting, going questioning whether or not we should have done it. Because we had people come that were very much at risk and shouldn't have come and when I saw them come I was like oh no no we shouldn't be doing this like but it was too late we were halfway through yeah and but now with a little more perspective I'm so glad we did because if I and like I would have hugged some people you know mm. and and lingered a little longer because I've you know even just seeing your kids tonight I was just like oh
0: man yeah. Charles was a few weeks. Well, no, when we recorded, Charles wasn't born yet. So we actually recorded in December and it released in January because I was in the, I was at the hospital yeah. after he was born with my laptop editing our last episode, <laughs> trying to get it finished. Cause I was like, if I don't, if I don't push and get this finished, it's not going to happen. And sure enough, I went four months without releasing anything after yeah. that. Just cause I mean, you, you know, new parent and whatnot, but and now he just he's a big old ham hock man. He is. He's five months old, and it's it's crazy. It is insane how and big so to that like, boy got. That, just have two daughters, them. and then him yeah. it's, it's huge. And then the girls have grown. Like, it's, what what was that like for you? What did it feel like when you saw them?
1: I almost started crying. I Thought I saw that when they when they single when man tear when your girls go, Bee! and it came running over. Uh I was like, um that's the that's I've missed that sound of just people being glad to see you. And especially the kids. Um but you know, grown ups do the same thing with each other, it's just not quite as free, you know. Um th- those things like you're describing, like there's no substitute for unless you're together and it's intangible. But you know by somebody's face, the way it lights up when they see you, that they're actually genuinely happy to see you and it's not a a pretend thing. And it's so subtle, I don't know how you, it's hard to quantify it, but you know it. And when you are a part of a community where there are multiple people, at least, that genuinely light up when they see you and are happy that you're there, that's, and you don't, think about it until it's gone that's pretty you that's i missed that a lot and it and it your soul my soul needs it and so to not have it so i think that's you know going forward um i think some people will be super grateful and value it more and maybe other people won't but again that's just revealing what was already there it's not like we've added some element, I think it's just exposing what we actually think, what we actually believe, what we actually feel, you know? Um so yeah I'm looking for I'm looking forward to it.
0: Did, personally. Did that sudden because it happened so suddenly. We went from meeting and you know some of the congregation makes it every week, some of them don't mm-hmm. to next week you are not gonna see this. hmm that sinking feeling like and i you don't know when it's going to be again what has that done to feed the depression monster that oh, we struggle yeah.
1: with i think for like the first the first sunday i was just focused on the getting the technical stuff right and figuring that out so i was very distracted for a week The next week, we had to move into my house. So it's the same thing. I had to figure out how to do Sunday from my office at home. But then, like the third, I think about the third week when we sort of figured that out and I was no longer distracted. And I realized that the awkwardness of trying to and the difficulty of trying to do what I felt responsible to do with like 90% of my tools for doing that taken away from me. Like okay, you're still responsible for this. <laughs> in fact, that responsibility is increased in some ways with all this new these new vectors that I've got to sort out. But your tools for handling it that come naturally to you and make things easier for you to ha- are gone. And that's that's the responsibility or failing, you're missing your responsibility, falling short of your responsibility is like a huge trigger for depression for me. And so that's when I started, my head started spinning a little bit and I was going, okay, but you know, just going to buckle down. We're going to get this done, you know, and then your resolve starts to weaken because you're, you're fighting an uphill battle constantly. And then it's, it's all in my house. So I can't just walk away from it, like physically walk away from it, it's right there. And my usual tools for dealing with that feeling, which is getting out of it.
0: Having a delegation party. Right, having a delegation yeah. party mm-hmm. and
1: connecting with people, forcing myself into conversations that I'm unmotivated to have mm-hmm. because of I'm depressed about it. And then feeling the relief of that. There's this, It's a. it's almost addictive to be under the cloud of a mode of depression and then to be in the middle of like a conversation or a group of people or some situation and all of a sudden it's like the sky clears. And that's a wonderful thing. And that's taken away from me. Um, And so that was, that was a a difficult, maybe three, three, four weeks after this started um, it took me a little while to pull up out of the the nosedive, and it's still like Mondays, Monday mornings,
0: which it's, is today.
1: Yeah, it's just lurking there, mm. <laughs> you know. And it doesn't get me every time, but it's it's lurking, and I just have to. Um, and and the loss of routine is another terrible one. I think probably a lot of people are suffering from that, even people that don't normally kind of have bouts of depression that just the loss of routine where you don't have to get up at a certain time take a shower get dressed brush your teeth you know do your rituals and then go to where you normally go all that's gone and sleeps all over the place you know you can some people can lay there and watch netflix all day that's a recipe for anybody to get depressed right or just scroll God help you scroll Facebook all day. Um, that'll make you crazy. Um, so just for me, building in like tr- building in some routines back into my schedule, even when it's kind of silly on the face of it to do it, is important um, for me. Um, learning to talk to my wife more about how I'm feeling instead of other people. <laughs> it's it's important so then she can and her and kind of telling her like hey uh this is what i just need you to just talk to me for a while you know you don't have to fix anything that's the trying to fix it doesn't fix it it's the not trying to fix it and just being having a conversation with me helps me and so those things have been really important and so it's good it's good for me to learn other tools um but yeah, like, uh, I guess last week, there's like a our supper club, we call it, which has been going for like two years now. It's just a group of people f- from the church would get together once a month and have dinner at different houses. We got together and went out to the a park and had dinner at the park. And it was about an hour into that. And I don't even say a whole lot, you know, in this environment, because it's weird. I'm an introvert. Uh, but I still need that. And so we're sitting there and it was like, sing, <laughs> like that feeling that was, I had missed for months, um, of just the mutual encouragement, that mysterious thing that happens when you're with people that I think we all feel, um, I, I had missed that and I'm jealous to have it again. That's for sure
0: some of the themes you're you're hitting on I'm realizing are falling in line with general hope for humanity. Yeah. When you're, when you're looking at the world, especially the world we're seeing right now tearing itself apart mm-hmm. by yourself. Yeah. You've got no reason to think that there's any reason to hope anymore. There's no good left in the world. And those moments, just seeing kids hang out, like kids are archetyp the archetypes of hope for the future, right? Yeah. Even you know, I hear that question all the time. How could you? How could you bring any kids into the world? As broken as this world is now, it's like because I have hope that they can make it better, mm-hmm. and if I stop hoping to that level you're right, it is just going to get worse. Mm-hmm. It's just going to crumble and die. And it's going to be, it will be hell on earth. Mm-hmm. It'll be gnashing of teeth, the works. And I don't want to see that. So mm-hmm. the, if if the best thing I can do for this world is me and my wife have a kid, at least I did that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's, exactly. I mean, it's... And w- so to go without seeing kids, you're going without seeing hope. Mm-hmm. When you go without seeing people getting along of all races and creeds and hanging out and just having a grill out or whatever when you don't, you know, you forget that you see it every day. Mm-hmm. It's that, it's the taxi cab driver and in, in Sherlock Holmes, right? Mm-hmm. He's, he's Mr. Cellophane. He's invisible. You'd never know it was there, but that's where we got s I think that's a lesson we should take away from this too is, all of those things that we're missing, it's not that we necessarily got them and knew it before. Mm-hmm. We're, we're having our eyes open to the, the good that's in front of us every day and how that should be fostered and treasured and encouraged, I think. Mm-hmm. So what, with churches now, we've got a situation now. I, mean, I haven't seen it turn bad yet. But we've got a situation now where if I'm counting right about 7 people are running the production for your church right now and streaming it and it's acting as a replacement. A cheap one, mm-hmm. admittedly, right? It's it's right. not what we're looking for. But the the broader audience, the maybe the 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 less I don't want to say less sophisticated, but I'm gonna anyway. The less sophisticated follower of Christ, right? Mm-hmm. That just says, "I did, I checked that box. I'm good. I'm good enough today." Um, they're gonna start flocking to anybody, is a concern of mine because anybody can make this. Anybody can run it. I mean, you're not gonna to have to have a church constitution. I could instantly say this is Chase Ellis Church. I mean, right now, and there's no difference. There's no, there's no prerequisites, no screening processes, and as far as anybody knows, I'm an ordained minister, and I am preaching the truth to you. If government is lying to us, which I would say up until the 40s, we really didn't question that too much, and I don't think we had as much reason to back then. But when we started dabbling in mind control programs and propaganda machines Mm -hmm. and, and learning from our enemies in those areas, uh, something went dark and I'm genuinely concerned that the church uh, as far as the high visibility church is going to have an opportunity to fall into that same trap. We're learning how to work algorithms Mm -hmm. and get viewers and build up fan base really is all it is how do you see that progressing and what are some good ways to avoid falling into that?
1: Yeah, I'm worried about the same thing. Um, I mean, I kind of joke about it, but it's actually not too far from what I actually think could happen, which is, are we going to end up with like five, you know, just well-known online preachers that everybody can kind of, because they're so good at that one thing and everybody just tunes into them or are we going to end up with a thousand horrible <laughs> preachers catering to little niches of, you know, well, you, you want a guy wearing jeans with a tattoo of like a Hebrew word on his forearm and uh, you know some kind of weird toboggan or something and and he's you know just wants to rap with the kids or do you want a formal guy in a suit i just to... saw michael scott trying to rap yeah. that's yes yeah. that's how michael scott <laughs> pastor <laughs> um yeah, yeah. <laughs> that guys that guy exists out there you yeah. know and, and he's online and but and so either one is is horrific because it's detached which is not what it's supposed to be. So I, I think somehow we have to keep all of it rooted in real relationships. And as long as that's true, it's like I'm comfortable right now doing a live stream of our church service and putting a reasonable amount of effort into it because most of the people, like the reason we're doing it is for people that are a part of us, like physically a part of our community, but they can't be there. So that I'm totally comfortable with because there's a connection beyond just ones and zeros. But we also have some people who during this time have fallen in through, you know, maybe somebody shared it on wherever or who knows how this happens. But that I'll give you like two examples. One is somebody who has had never heard of us and somebody shared it on Facebook and then that person shared it on Facebook. So this person's like two, maybe two steps removed from like relationally from us. They've started coming to the Sunday morning live stream in the middle of quarantine. Commenting, saying hi, people getting to know them, a whole whole thing. And they're planning to actually come physically at some point. So that's to me, that's that's an interesting. They're local. That's interesting, positive. To me, I, I'm happy with that. Another example is somebody who lives out of state and I know them personally, they visited before when they've been in town, but they live out of state. Their church is not doing much online right now. And so they've been joining us online on Sundays.
0: Do you feel like the mistress? Yeah. Is that how it feels? Like they're married to this church, but they're cheating on their church with me.
1: And so it's a weird zone to be in right now. And I'm kind of okay with it right now because of the situation they're in. It's like, okay, they're their church for who knows why but their church can't do much online or won't do much whatever and and so they're just doing what they can okay i'm fine i'm okay but i'm nervous <laughs> <laughs> sure you know because what about when it's over what about when the church they're committed to begins meeting in person or whatever whatever their next step will be are they what are they going to do
0: what do you think the line's going to look like where what we've put in place to maintain unity becomes the very thing that's dividing us mm-hmm. what is that going to how does that look in your mind terrible <laughs> well that's the result
1: <laughs> <laughs> it, 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 it you know and I, I well it's been brewing for a long time i think at some point like for for us it will look like create trying to somehow walling off things a little bit for our, our community. And by that, I mean people who it's weird. You have to even call it, say this, but by that, by the word community, I mean, physical in person community, <laughs> interpersonal relationship. Um, I think you have to wall it off some somehow. I don't mean like you can't like, cause I'll still be happy. For example, if somebody's out sick and they can't come to church, I'm happy for them to, to tune in. I think it's cool to be able to sit in their bed sick with the flu and watch the service and see people and hear the sermon and all that. I think it's cool.
0: Yeah, my heart's been for the shut-ins for a long time, right. the nursing homes, the those who are chronically ill and just yeah. unable to make it. I, th- I thought streaming and moving in this direction was going to be very useful for right. them and be genuinely, at least not detrimental to them right? right um so yeah I see but I'm not
1: interested in a system of competition between my sermon for example and the sermon of the pastor in Idaho who's also trying to just be a good pastor to his church and and all of a sudden it's like well I like really like him better I'm just gonna tune into his that That becomes this crazy, you know, um, competitive, weird, disembodied zombie church, you know, where everybody's just, um, the idea of local is gone. But it's not anything new because, you know, if you're in a church that does multiple sites with one pastor who, where you're sitting in a remote site looking at a screen And just because he's a real person, is it really different? I forgot those were happening. Oh yeah, they're happening. It's popular, man. Yeah. And so for them, it's just a little step away of, and I think, but I think each step you take, the worse it gets. This is why we're trying to do it live. It's because that's one step closer as opposed to pre-recording it and just releasing it. Um. Even if, even though I know a lot of people don't show up live, they watch it later. That's fine with me. It's still want to do it live because it's at least one step closer to the real thing. Um, but when you start uh, pre recording and you've got a site over here and a site over there, and maybe, and none of them are live, it's just a preacher standing in an empty room pretending like it's not empty, a worship band in an empty room, pretending like it's not empty with the smoke and everything. And they're going at it, pretending like there's a thousand people there when there's nobody, but the guy with the camera. (laughs) And then you're just beaming that out on every Sunday. That to me becomes, that's where the division starts. Cause now you're inviting this competitive attitude of comparison between, um, your religious performance and somebody else's religious performance and there's no difference in like geography that you could be on opposite sides of the country but when you're looking at a computer screen there's no difference um something you
0: hit on earlier sorry i didn't mean to cut no, you off ahead.
1: something you hit on
0: earlier uh made me start to wonder is the difference between being the consumer of some kind of fabricated churchy product, is it the workload? Because that was something I was thinking about. Now you, can, you could run your church with a small digital media staff. Mm-hmm. Really you could do it yourself if you wanted to now that the kinks are ironed out. You've got a good template and you could just bang it out. Mm-hmm. That means nobody has to do any work and that could be appealing in a lot of ways. It's like I get church, I get the good stuff, but I don't have to work. Do you think there's an element of the labor, the shared labor? Well, I think it's a huge part element. of
1: church. It's it's the benefit of a franchise. You know, you can. I want to open up a fast food restaurant. Well, I can go and I can do the hard work of inventing all the processes and everything to make a fast food restaurant efficient and you know all that, or I can just pay a bunch of money. And get all of that in a package and set it down and then just feed it with all the things you tell me I have to feed it with and it, 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 it works. (laughs) It
0: seems to be, I think there's a really good reason that franchisees are referred to as franchisees and not, I mean, they're still owners, but you Mm -hmm. don't hear that as the title Mm -hmm. an owner operator. When I hear that, that sounds kind of like what you're talking about. Uh, would you say that all members of a church are owner operators of that church mm-hmm. hmm.
1: yeah and I, if, and so if you if you franchise it, you don't have to deal with all the work of like in a in in a church, you don't have to deal with the work of going okay what's what's our calling specifically? who are we who is God called to make up this? Church and what are their gifts and wrestling sometimes for years <laughs> over what you are because what you are is determined by mm-hmm. who's who's in it and not by some arbitrary document that you stick on your wall on, in your hallway. It's you go, it's, that's not my,
0: it's not my live laugh love no paint on the hallway. No. Oh, it's it's rats.
1: people right. Mm-hmm. And all of that's hard work and so then you put that into. Well, what do we do on Sunday? What do we do here? What do we do there? Well, all that's driven by who you are. And all that work is simplified when, especially if you're doing it online, because you don't have to deal with. You don't even have to vacuum. No. And what ultimately is your responsibility? So that's what I was saying. Like, what does it mean to join an online church? What's ultimately your responsibility as a pastor to the people? That you've never even seen before. I've like, literally never been in the same room with them. Yeah, what's it gonna be
0: like when uh, you get a random email from somebody saying, "Hey, I want you to uh, preside over my father's funeral," and he he's been attending your church mm-hmm. online for the last two years, right? But you've never met him. You've never met his dad. You've never mm-hmm. interacted with him directly in a in a personal, in person mm-hmm. state. I mean, it's kind of like the the marriage. You know, I'm sure you get calls for, hey, will you marry us? It's like, well, who are you? (laughs) (laughs) Right, (laughs) which sounds so painfully familiar to um, when Jesus, when we call call on Jesus and say, Lord, Lord, and he says, depart from me, I never knew you. Mm -hmm. There's a a call to the, I think, the relationship we're talking about here in the body, in that phrase.
1: Yeah, I quit doing those weddings a couple of years ago, and it was the one, most wonderful decision because and w- what I would say to people, now what I stay now when they call like that, which is regular, is why? Why do you want me to do it? And it's always the same thing. Well, like why do you want a religious wedding? You're not in a church anywhere. If you were, you wouldn't be calling me. Or if you are, they don't think you should get married. And that's a whole nother problem, <laughs> right? But yeah. usually it's we're not in a church, but my mom or my grandmother or somebody like that, or we have this kind of superstitious view of church and Christianity where we just want to get a, a good start on our wedding. We want to start right or start off on the right foot. Or So now I'm the rabbit's foot for your marriage you don't (laughs) you don't care about what the marriage ceremony means you don't care about like the christian marriage ceremony you don't care about what a pastor is what god says about marriage what makes a good marriage you don't care about any of that you want me there for the photos (laughs) and so grandma's happy or and to say a prayer and then shut up and get out of the way and i did one of those where that was and I remember standing there doing the wedding and I thought to myself, in the middle of doing the vows, I was not <laughs> paying attention. I was just like, I'll never do this again. I'm I'm here for the photos and no one even knows me. I didn't know anybody there except the couple.
0: You were a prop.
1: I was a prop, I was a stage prop. Oh. And I was like, never will I do this again. And that's when I went home, I said, guys, new policy. <laughs> a learning experience. If uh, I, I, and I'll say to people like, I want to be your pastor, not your wedding officiant. Now, if you want me to be your pastor, I'm I'm sign up for that. Um, but I'm not interested in just making 50 bucks from you so I can, you know, what are you doing?
0: <laughs> <laughs> so I can hear about another divorce. But that attitude,
1: I mean, it seems like in the South is so common about, it's this superstition. Mm-hmm, yeah. It's Christian superstition. It's, we want you there when somebody dies and when somebody gets married to say some words and kind of provide some kind of super, equivalent of a rabbit's foot or fairy dust, and then please go away. <laughs>
0: and then you end up being like, even uh, you're a leverage piece. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm the one that called the pastor to bring them in. I get right. extra kudos for having been the good one to check that box it's like and we reinforce it
1: with all our movies you know every every war movie has got a guy dying and the priest running up to do last rites hopefully before he breathes his last breath and we reinforce this kind of mentality about and every i mean now you're starting to see like with marriages on television i've noticed rarely now do you see an actual minister there it's usually some authority figure in the cast that is and they we just watched a show where there was a wedding and it was the authority figure on the show, the dad figure. He got his ordination online so he could do the wedding vows, do the perform the ceremony. And then I'm going, now you've cheapened ordination. You don't even know what that is. And then and then there are no vows. It's just the an expression of my love for you. Both The couple one person writes their own vows it's not a vow like there's no promise of future love there at all it's just I just really feel you just light up my life (laughs) you're so important to me you just make me laugh and you're just the best you're just telling them how you feel which is great you should do that but there's no vow
0: what are you going to do when those feelings are gone
1: right and to me it's all wrapped up in the same kind of perspective that we're reinforcing with online stuff and I mean, I think the counter argument to that is going back to the online thing as well. If there's this whole like noise of all these kind of unqualified, disembodied churches out there that you're describing in our bleak future, <laughs> um, maybe what we should be doing is sending a good voice into that mm-hmm. noise. Well, that's the po- the good politician argument. Right.
0: Right? Government's corrupt, so let's send more Christians in to be politicians and you think the tide can be turned? I don't. Do you think that's how it
1: works? I don't think that's how it works. I think that the, the way it's been talked about in church circles for many years now is like the funnel is that you have a big open door front door. That's the, top of the funnel that low barrier to entry, no friction whatsoever. Um, great custom. And they use customer service models to make that happen. And then the funnel, then the back door is very small and you slowly disciple them. That's the funnel into more and more godliness and more understanding of what, Jesus meant when he said take up your cross and follow me so you don't put the take up your cross thing at the front end you put that way at the back end which weirdly enough is also what cults do and secret societies and (laughs) (laughs) but it's not at all what Jesus Jesus flipped it right right and he put the tiny end of the funnel up front and he said he made it really hard and confusing and said crazy things like eat my flesh and drink my blood and um, was constantly trying to thin the crowd out and offend people so they would leave. And he didn't like crowds. He was always moving away from crowds. And then then you climb your way in. <laughs> you get over all your offense at him because you're like, who else has the words of life but you? And you just keep following him. That guy gets through, and then the back end is this glorious ease of eternity, right? Where the funnel's going the other way. And I just think that's how it works.
0: Do you think there's a, a pragmatism to that model where you step people into a deeper understanding of Christianity mm-hmm. or do you think that's <clears throat> prolonging the inevitable? And I wonder if that was why Christ, I mean Christ could see each heart. So right, it, anybody that was there and it was fake he already knew, so maybe that was a talent and a gift that
1: only he gets to put into practice. I don't know. I, I would love to see statistics, I'm sure they exist somewhere on, you know, in that in that model, the funnel model, if, because there's lots of, all these, I shouldn't say all the big churches, but that certainly in the 90s, that was the way mega churches were structured, most of them. I like to see the numbers on how many people it's when it gets when the funnel shrinks down and they realize, oh, this is going to cost me, it's going to cost me relationally because I got to hang in with people that I'm mad at, or it's going to cost me money, or it's going to cost me time, or it's going to cost me my life <laughs> to keep following this Jesus. When if those people bail or if they actually finally get over that. I suspect they bail and they shift to another church somewhere that where it's easy
0: or they just are guilted into staying. Right. Which seems to be a Southern guilt thing. I've oh yeah. I've noticed too. It's like, I've done this my whole life. I can't go away mm-hmm. from it. Even if I disagree with it, it's like, no, disagree with it now. Walk away and sort right. it out for yourself. Man,
1: please. You just making it hard on everybody. Yeah.
0: Well, that's <laughs> so, that's coming back to that uh, man behind the curtain that we talked about last time too. Yeah. That whole idea of a facade that you just don't get to see the genuine mm-hmm. inner workings of what I struggle with or what the pastor struggles with. Mm-hmm. And that's going to be, it's going to be tough. I think that's what we're starting to see with this. It's just a new version of the curtain Yeah, with the media. You're going to have guys that can just do their, their podcast every Sunday if they want and Mm -hmm. claim to have a church and you have no idea what that guy's doing through the week. No clue. And I'm also wondering too about the, there's a vulnerability inherent in this. If you've got people that can just freely join online, there's going to be disruptors. I think. Eventually. We haven't gotten to it yet. I don't think we're bored enough yet. Mm -hmm. But, they're going to be those guys that want to watch everything burn. They just get a kick out of it and they're going to start trying to drop in hate comments. And Mm -hmm. what do you do when the profanity is so much on your live stream for your church from some random bot even? Right. What do you do then? I mean, what's going to be, what's that going to,
1: yeah, I've thought about that. I mean, it's funny. Like I, I started blogging, back. I, I'm always late on these trends. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm not so late that they're dead. I just always like three fourths of the way late. So I started blogging as right as the blogging kind of revolution was starting to taper off. <laughs> but I remember like the, you know, back then it was before Facebook was a big thing. And so most of the social online interaction was happening in forums and on, in the comment section of blog posts. And so I'd have lots of comments, crazy comments. And I kind of, for myself, I developed kind of a way of approaching it. Like I'm, I'm never going to delete a comment, but I will respond to it if I have to. But I usually wait for the, if you've got a good community going, they'll, they'll deal with it for you. It's the same way on Facebook. Sometimes you just leave it and let the dogs fight each other. <laughs> Sometimes you jump in and you kind of develop a sense of that. I don't know what you're talking about. I haven't done that recently <laughs> at all. and it's a a really it's a I think it's a skill you learn I don't think it comes out because it's a weird world that online but then on like YouTube the YouTube comments section I mean it's dark man it goes dark fast it's a dark and seedy place the comment section on YouTube and so I don't know man I mean I think I tend to be I'm a little bit probably still an idealist and a little naive, I mean, like on our live stream, we have like basically all the elders in our church are moderators. So, I mean, I've got that much in place, but if things get really hairy where like, I'm anticipating a time in the not too distant future where activists just call churches and ask them pointed questions. So, you can get on a list and this, so they can protest you or try to cancel you or whatever. I, you know, will you perform a marriage between this gender and that gender? And they'll go through a list and you're going to, you're either going to answer or not answer. But I see the same thing can happen online where they just find where, who are the churches that are streaming right now? Let's go and intentionally just try to destroy it.
0: Yeah. When are you going to start getting reported? When are you going to start getting Mm -hmm. marked as spreading false information from somebody who believes something
1: different? Yep. So like my, my concern ultimately is that we won't be able to use a, a platform we don't own. I think that's, we'll get there eventually where like a place like YouTube or Facebook or those platforms will be, just about if if you are a Christian church, unless you are just not ever saying anything, <laughs> like really worth saying, you're just you're going to be deplatformed, and you'll have to build your own, you have to roll your own, you know, streaming service or. But even that, like even in Canada, it's it's the government, and so if you put it over the airwaves, even if you own, this both the end point and the starting point of that broadcast, if it goes over the air and you say certain things, you can get fined egregious amounts of money.
0: Shut down yeah. effectively. I yeah. mean, just economically, they didn't mm-hmm. have to come in with pitchforks and yeah. torches. They just hit you with a fine that you yeah.
1: can't pay. But I think like the church has always found a way, man. Oh, sure. That's- I mean, we'll f- it might be handing, handing out thumb drives. You yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I've actually—I almost—I
0: fi- wrote a short story on that once, where the the last Bible was mm-hmm. on a drive, and it was being shuffled around trying to get to the mainframe, to where it would permeate society once more as a virus. Yeah. So you couldn't get the Bible off of your device, like it was just rooted there, and you never—it wouldn't pop up or anything like that and harass you with it but it was there if you needed it, was the idea. And yeah, it's definitely, yeah. we're seeing, it's, it doesn't even have to be as contentious as religion or politics right
2: mm-hmm.
0: now. Yeah, ha, Be a doctor that says, I disagree with where we're going with COVID-19. Yeah. I mean, they just got shut down. Mm-hmm. I mean, straight up just ignored. I mean, and suppressed. Mm-hmm. And then here's the big one right now. And you, you kicked this off with a really good video not too long ago that really just, is that the most successful video you've ever shared? Oh, yeah, yeah. Where you started sharing your heart about what's mm-hmm. going on with race relations yeah. and group identities. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, it's... Um... I mean, what inspired you? Why'd you do it? And then what was it briefly on?
1: Well, the, the that first one that I did that kind of went, crazy I mean crazy by my standards but um, was just because exp- I saw the George Floyd video and I had a weird I had kind of two reactions one I was like really bothered and then realized why I was bothered was not because first I thought well it's, it's it's a guy dying like I'm watching somebody die and which, that's, is yeah, I mean, which is terrible I mean
0: why are we watching that in our living rooms right now or offices, but yeah,
1: and I thought, no, that's not why I'm. I mean, I'm bothered by that, but that's not what's grieving me. I've seen that before, and I know what that is. What, but it was the whole. It was the guy with his knee on his neck, and the just the coldness on his face is what was getting me. And it, he was trying. He was trying to act casual about it. And he was trying to. He was like he. It was just a crazy. It's just I'm looking at, like, studying his face, watching it because I know what's happening, and and I'm trying to look at the guy, searching the guy's face for some sense of awareness or empathy or even understanding what he, what's and there's just, all I see is this attempt to look casual with his hands awkwardly in his pockets and it is bizarre and it just really grieved me and so that's kind of what motivated me to and then i started seeing the riots and um here in greensboro even um and something about the video came close you know seeing that this was you know i wasn't watching riots in la <laughs> mm. it was close and that's when i just started i just felt like i needed to say something and then what do you say? And I I had been and still do, you know, pouring over it's another case of like, do I do I have to be a statistician? And I got this because I'm looking at stats, police brutality stats, and I'm pouring over all these websites and realizing how terrible and incomplete the data is. And then I'm going, Oh, well, what do how am I supposed to know what's going on? How am I supposed to get some kind how am I supposed to have an opinion about this? That's the pressure. Have an opinion about it, about everything. And I went, How am I? I can't even trust the charts I'm looking at because the data itself is 100% voluntary whether or not a police department even reports the, st- the, statist- the statistics to the federal government. And so now you got all these individual people, journalists and activists compiling data well now they've they've got an agenda and so what are you supposed to do right so you just sort of and i felt this very this deep frustration coming off of watching that video um and i kind of came to the this point where i just started thinking about how how did jesus deal with stuff like this he didn't he didn't have the internet he didn't have charts and graphs also what did he do what did he actually do in practice he just went around and listened to people and he would just believe people. And it just became very simple for me. And it's not simple, <laughs> but in that moment, it came very clear to me, at least what the next step forward is for a Christ follower is just to say, okay, if, if I'm talking to you and you tell me you've had this happen and this happened and this is your story, I'm not going to say, ah, I'm going to say, all right, I believe you. That's awful. And I'm going to try to help you as best I can, even if that's just listening to you and empathizing with you. And um, so that's kind of that's kind of basically what I said in the video. It was longer than that, but and that's kind of been about what's leading me through the other stuff. I'm trying to do is just um, being friends with people, <laughs> you know, and and letting that be the thing that I point myself in the direction of, that's my compass, instead of trying to think about the whole country and what the trends are and what the data is and talking about it like it's this removed thing from me. I think maybe that's part of the impact of that George Floyd thing is that, at least for me, it felt close to me instead of removed. It wasn't a data point. There's something about that that I think for everybody felt a little personal and closer to home. And so that's kind of how I'm like locally, that's what I'm doing. I said, okay, tell me your story, man. And it's another dude that lives down the street from me. And that's a different thing, I think, than debating online about all this stuff that is so removed from real people, it seems like. There's something about
0: that that I genuinely, just hearing you describe it, appreciate more than seeing you change your Facebook profile
1: picture. Exactly.
0: It seems that it has a workload to it. Mm -hmm. Kind of what we were talking about with just being a part of any community. We were talking about it as a church, but if you're a member, that was something that People didn't get there for a while either, is you can be a church visitor or a church attendee. Mm-hmm. But there's this title that we have floating around there called member. Mm-hmm. And what is what that usually means is you have adopted some level of responsibility in making this happen. Yep. It's not that you're paying for tickets every Sunday. Mm-hmm. You're not that's not what the offering plate is. It's a a willingness to bear up under the community load. Right. And I mean I I, I can see the case being made for visual solidarity with changing facebook profile pictures mm-hmm. things like that I, I i'm not trying to knock that it just seems easy
1: it's so easy and the
0: best things are not All you have easy to do is click and then do you feel good <laughs> about yourself after that do you feel like you you're helping maybe you are maybe yeah i don't know that you're not I, i'm that's a discussion that i'm leaving alone overall <laughs> and and it's well it's like as a white pastor of a predominantly white church in uh-huh. a predominantly white southern town how do you feel your voice is heard and i hate group identities i'm only using this for an example to talk yeah. about because i don't consider you a white pastor right. or this I, to be a white town yeah that's a whole other discussion <laughs> it like it just yeah. comes through my teeth when i say it like that, I, that but I, I have i feel like i have to ask because that is an image that's being put on people yeah. whether they want it or not
1: i it's 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 i'm still figuring that out it it i think people that know me probably hear me differently and this is kind of the point. People that know me I think hear me differently than someone who doesn't know me and just sees the categories. Right? And that's I think that's maybe that's part of the problem both ways is and the thing I'm reacting against in saying it's really just about who you know and who you give your your life to relationally. And not so much about <clears throat> the activism, unless the activism is connected to people. Um, and so, I think it's the same thing. Like somebody who just, you know, if if you're an African American person who's, you know, really angry at all the injustice against you, and you've ex- maybe you've had some awful experiences, you see me coming, <laughs> or you see me talking. <laughs> you know, middle-aged white guy in the South with an uncoverable Southern accent. And there's a list of assumptions that are probably going to happen in that. But if you get to know me, you'll find out that that's probably, most of those are not true.
0: Do you feel guilty for those assumptions? The assumptions about me?
1: No. Um, I can't. I can't help it. All I can do is say is make a leap to try to connect with the person and say this is who I am.
0: Do you think there's a point in saying anything meaningful to somebody you don't know?
1: I like to think there is because <laughs> I'm doing it all the time. <laughs> well, I,
0: I mean, aside from, I, I think there's a, an obvious value, right? In that if I say something, and it resonates with you. Maybe you want to get to know me mm-hmm. and know what I actually meant by it. I. It's funny how many people yeah. will come up and say, "Yeah, man, I love what you said." And you know, it's like, "Do you? You have no idea what I meant." Right. You had. There's no. You've got that all wrong. But come hang out with me.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Learn what I meant. Yeah. And I think that's so a lot of times. That's the best thing about marriage. When you're mm-hmm. welded together, you're gonna learn what other what the other person means. Yep. Or you're gonna kill each other. <laughs> it's
1: just, and it's a weird thing right now. It seems like that we're most people, no matter what category, social category you fit in, no one lets you decide what you mean. Yeah. It's, I know what you meant. I get to decide what you meant. Not I get to decide how I feel about what you meant. What you said. I get to decide what you meant by what you said, and if you say no, 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 that's not what I meant. What I meant to say was X, Y, Z. Let me say it a different way to kind of get what I meant across. It's like no, no, no. I know what you meant. It's like how do you know what you meant? You're not in my head. This is the language. How language works, right? Is it's it's the meaning of what I'm saying that's important, and and not and then conversation is dead. Do you think you can be
0: racist without intent to be racist? Is that something I'm grappling with right now? One of the things we have to yeah. prove in court of law for a crime to have been committed is usually you have to prove intent, especially with murder one. Mm-hmm. I think racism to... feels like murder in my mind. Right, Like that's the same
1: heart. I think you can. I think you have to we have. nothing. No one's defining racism very well. <laughs> that's part of the problem. So I think you can be you can make assumptions about anybody based on anything and not be aware of it until you get to know that person and realize some of your realize you had some assumptions that you made. I mean I've done this, I mean, many of my favorite people right now in my life, I totally didn't under your exact example. I didn't understand you at all. <laughs> it was like who is a Chase guy? What? But I was intrigued by it. And and so and and so there's a it's like a train wreck. Yeah, I think I that's am. <laughs> I think that's a normal part of how relationships work. I think that stuff can be you can do that without knowing you're doing it. And I think a lot of people do that. And so you can do that about a person based on all kinds of stuff. I think that's a different, a subtly different category from racism. And maybe maybe somebody would argue and say, Well that's a form of racism. Okay, whatever. But they're different. <laughs> They manifest differently. Right. Then the intent issue to me is super important. And if someone's intent is to say one thing or to express one thing and you've taken it a different way and you call that racism, you really need to understand what they meant. And that's more important.
0: I'm seeing people uh, give up friendships because of one statement. Right. You meant this. Right. I'm out, Mm -hmm. you're done, rather than saying, I know you, you clearly don't mean what I think you mean, right? What do you mean? And it's that humble element of, it seems that more often than not, we're seeing a loud disgust sensitivity response, Mm -hmm. not a virtuous thing at all. And that's, I think that's been one of my biggest struggles, watching us all tear each other apart, is we've been cooped up, we're all tired, Mm -hmm. we don't know who to trust anymore. There's this whole, I mean, if the government lied to us about masks, right? Small things, big things. How much more are they gonna lie to us about race narratives Mm -hmm. or, I mean, anything, anything and people are, I mean, just tensions are high and mm-hmm. we're buckling under it and we're starting to wonder, we're, we're just starting to react. Yep. We're being reduced to a primal response in mm-hmm. so many ways socially. Oh, yeah. and Plus we're out of practice mm-hmm. and we're on digital media where it's easier to posture and right. not have to get hit in the face. There's something about threat of violence in a discussion, which is an interesting yeah. study. I'd, I'm not going to get too far into that one because it you instantly get accused of being sexist later but yeah it's a real thing like mm-hmm. when i talk to you you're a bit taller than me <laughs> <laughs> fists a bit bigger than me i'm gonna be i'm not gonna be as impolite as i can be yep. on, on online i'll be as impolite as i can get away with mm-hmm. it's tearing us apart
1: it is like one of the things I've been thinking about is the idea of reconciliation, which is another big word everybody's using. And what does it mean individuals and how does, how do groups reconcile? Cause that's the racial reconciliation is like the big thing right now. And certainly an important element of it. Cause I, it makes me think back over all the years I've been pastoring and how many, probably hundreds of times I've sat with two people whose friendship has fallen apart because of something that happened between them and they're trying to fix it and they're having a hard time. And mediating reconciliation between individuals like for years and years and years. And there's always the intent of the, going back to the intent thing, the intent of the other person becomes super important. And and being able to say, okay, because usually it's, that person loves me, but they said a mean thing or did a mean thing, and they hate that they did it. And either they didn't mean it, and they did it kind of just being clumsy, <laughs> or they did mean it, but it becomes very important about what they actually meant, and sometimes it's just a misinterpretation, and sometimes you actually are interpreting it correctly, and but that person needs to repent of that and say, I'm sorry for that. But just disregarding intent completely is there is no, I don't see any way for two people or two groups of people to reconcile without dealing with intent. Like, what do you, what did you mean by that? What's in your heart towards me? And it always turns when that gets clear and somebody says, well, I did this, or I said this, but I also really love you and care about you, and this what, and all of a sudden, the offense begins to melt away. And...
0: Or you love somebody else, right? It could be, I'd said this to you because I felt you attacked so-and-so, right? right? It doesn't have to be directly related, Mm -hmm. which is, I I think, an element of what we're dealing with. Yeah, so there's a bunch of
1: other things with reconciliation, but that's gotta be a big one, and I don't... I don't see that happening almost anywhere except in situations where people know each other and they're willing to. Online it's just, you kidding me? (laughs) We
0: we need more Romeo and Juliet, which is gonna sound weird, but. Go on. The Capulets and the Montagues, (laughs) two warring houses. Right, yeah. It's the same idea, you've got two people that they get to know each other for who they are is really that whole story. And it's been t- retold so many times. West side story is a great example of this too, where it's, it's more, ex- uh that's a fly. Um, <laughs> I don't see a fly. What are you talking about? Oh, <laughs> uh, it, I'm not trying to say that racism is the same as gang violence or that racial tensions are the same, but, one of the things you mentioned before was racism and not seeing somebody as an individual. They're two different things mm-hmm. in in result. But the the modus operandi is the same. The formula works the same way. You're choosing yeah. to see somebody at a lower resolution than mm-hmm. an individual worth loving. Is kind of my perspective on that. Now, right. there are different flavors of that. So if we're gonna say it's cancer, then yeah, there's lymphoma or whatever, you know, we're gonna go down the line is uh, throat, mouth, cancer. Mm-hmm. And some do behave differently, right? When you get to that next level. But the root mm-hmm. uh, seems to be an unwillingness to see yourself in the other person. Yeah. And give them the chance that you would hope somebody would give you. um, mm-hmm. And that's what you see in Romeo and Juliet. and. Was yeah, that story, and of course, it's yeah. you know sexually inspired. So right. they they had a, a good motivation to get them past it. But in Romeo and Juliet, you had the priest as a mediator, a bit trying to speak out. Who do you think's going to be the mediator? Who can be a mediator? Uh, well, first question: Hatfields and McCoys. They finally buried the hatchet. How long ago? It was like nineteen right. nineties. Yeah. Um, so we're talking about groups of people who are choosing to not get along mm-hmm. over old multi-general generational yeah. hardships. And there's not even the race element that's involved. Like mm-hmm. they intermarried back and forth a few times. Uh, they're, right. fa- they're their own family. <laughs> um, have you, you talked about seeing individuals reconcile, but have you ever had to reconcile to groups of people? And what was the dynamic shift there and then just we can wrap it up with can groups reconcile or do they have to be does it have to start with an individual? Where does I don't know. how does Something that work?
1: I'm still puzzling on, but I th- think my th- current theory is that it has it's got to be a real reconciliation is always gonna be on the individual level it's just there's a tipping point in a group where enough people in that group reconcile with enough people in the other group that you kind of reach a point where it tips over
0: you kind of wake up and it's already been yeah. done
1: and hmm. the the weak weak-minded or we could, we could say in a more positive way the late adopters <laughs> or the slow adopters kind of get sucked in because there's momentum and so, if it's like two, if it's the Hatfields and the McCoys, enough of the Hatfields, you know, reconnect and forgive and reconcile with enough of the McCoys that the ones who are real begrudging either die out or get with the program. You know, I think that's to me, that's the only model I can, that's how I'm moving forward. Eventually, it's, it's
0: going to be weird to be hating on the McCoys. Right. Like, you're going to be the outlier now. You're yeah. going to be that last diehard. Yeah.
1: So, like, I'm in this little pastor's group in our town, and we're, that's kind of our approach right now, is we, we're we doing this little dance. We're trying to figure out who, who, can we all get along? Do we like each other? You know, like, the high school dance, and the dance floor is empty, but we're tiptoeing out, and. There's people that I'm connected with more than others, and we're just kind of figuring that out. We're talking about more and more personal, important things. And that's, but the whole vision for that is to kind of start the momentum. And then, as leaders in different spheres around the city, kind of say, hey, you know, and bring other people into that kind of just friendship and use that as a model for instead of trying to like legislate it in some way, however churches to legislate things to their churches and kind of force feed using the right lingo and, you know, all that stuff that makes us all feel like we're doing something, but doesn't actually do anything. And then we can go past it in a few weeks and well, we, Solved racism in our church, you know. It's like the guy who's, you know, boasts about how multicultural his church is when all he really has is a bunch of groups inside of his church that don't connect each other. But they all show up on Sunday and there's different colors in the room. So they go, Whoo, multicultural. We're not racist. (laughs) But if you go to their covered dish dinner, you got the black people sitting over here, and the Latinos sitting over here, and the white people over here, and they're not—they've done nothing. And they, then
0: the the thing that grinds my gears the most: we didn't have enough black people there today, right? As if they're a commodity, like they're—we right. didn't have enough tokens, right? Of all, it wasn't diverse enough.
1: It's like it's like there's wait d- what danger lurks there, my friend. <laughs> you don't. And so, like that's what we don't want we don't want that kind of thing where we just are trying to check off the right stats instead try to move the needle relationally and then let that happen naturally you know and to me that's more permanent um and that's more real and it's at that point, we're not looking at each other by these weird designations of color. It's funny, like the people I feel like that really get this stuff. Even when they're forced in a conversation, like you did a minute ago, they were forced in a conversation to refer to someone by their skin color. They go, they always say something like, "You make a face," or say, "I mean, I hate to, I hate to even do that," even when they're meaning it positively. And I think ultimately that's the goal. That's what heaven's going to be like. We celebrate those differences but we're not that's not who we are and that's the goal and I don't think reconciliation happens by you know some declaration you know Um, there's a lot of you know people doing letters and signing the letters and petitions and to me that's the same thing as changing your Facebook profile. It might not hurt, it might, I don't know. But is it gonna do what we want it to do? I don't think so, I think the only way to do that is act like the church <laughs>
0: to everybody, you know? One of the things I've had to stop doing and I'm working on really hard, not very good at it yet, is when it's a big topic, remembering that it deserves a long answer. Yeah. It deserves the effort and articulation and distillation of thought. And any time you shorthand it, are you, you might be doing more damage than good. Mm-hmm. Now I get it. there are some points where you say, I've exhausted those efforts, I have to get it out as it is, mm-hmm. help me build it better. Right, but that has to be right. the the intent. It's saying, it's admitting that it's inarticulate, and we want to make it better. Mm-hmm. To say that a certain mantra is bulletproof, and if you argue with it or pick right. at it, it might have that mantra might have resounded with you, but it didn't with me. Mm-hmm. And I'm trying to understand you better, and you're just gonna label me because I'm the only reason I wouldn't get it's because I'm evil. Mm-hmm. I, what kind of perspective is that? And we it's getting worse. Yeah. Maybe maybe we're just seeing it more.
1: Yeah. It's, it's like we're media. just talking to each other in 140 characters or less and there's no way to really articulate the these hard things. I mean there are without... volumes
0: and volumes on these. Yes. Things.
1: Novels and novels. <laughs> you know, it's amazing. But I you know, I don't you know back in you know when mlk was doing his thing like he kind of emerged as one guy who sort of represented at least the majority of that movement and there was and now it's so there's no head of the snake which is one of the you know unique things about what we're seeing right now is there's not like one leader who's organizing marches and speaking for the whole group, it's
0: distributed. There's a lot of self-professed right. speakers for communities, and that seems to be problematic. Yeah. Because nobody's electing them. Yeah. Right? No. Nobody's saying, hey, I really want you to be that right. person for us. They're saying, I see a disenfranchised community with no voice. I have a voice. Right. Let me be your voice. I'll be your voice. They're not even saying, let <laughs> me be your voice. It's like,
1: I'm already being your voice. Right. <laughs> That's not working. And no matter how many people say, no, you don't speak for me, it's it doesn't. That's a weird, to me that's a very strange, I don't know, it's so fragmented, the culture is so fragmented, for me it's, I spent maybe three days trying to like think through that and now I'm just like, no, it's a non-starter, you just, to me, like reduce it down to who am I actually responsible for, the parable of the Good Samaritan for me is huge. The guy in front of you. Just the dude in front of you or the people, you know, maybe it's 10 people or one person, but who's in front of you, deal with that.
0: <laughs> what do you think of, so I've seen this a lot. I saw it, it's, I, I can't let it go. Samaritan's Lives Matter. Have you seen this? <laughs> no, I haven't seen that. Yeah, that's the argument is like, Jesus wasn't racist for saying Samaritan's Lives Matter. Of course, he didn't actually say that. No. But. That's interesting.
1: So who are they supposing the Samaritan is in that story? There's an interpretation happening there of that story. I wonder what it is.
0: Off the cuff, what do you think it is? It's okay if you don't want to answer that one.
1: Well, I don't know. I would say, like, if you're saying Samaritans' lives matter to me, that would be the equivalent of saying whoever, because the, the Samaritan in that story is the rescuer. It's the, it's the guy who wasn't didn't wasn't didn't have the obligation like the priests and the Levite never, that passed by and did nothing. They were obligated or were supposed to be the ones in the story that did the were the heroes. Instead, it's this hated person. So in our culture, like who is the Samaritan? I guess that's the question. I think that, it's
0: just indicative that people will adopt mantras right. without ever looking into what they actually mean. Right?
1: It's confusing. It's like if they so it's, oughta- a, it's a, like two things I have to you know, have to figure out like what do you think that story's about?
0: I mean, you've already missed a fundamental thing. The Samaritan is not the guy that's beat up on no. the side of the road. Right. He's the guy that was man- minding his own business, right, and decided to help the. Mm-hmm. The the group that thought they were superior. Right. Right? Because Samaritans were lesser than Jews in the mm-hmm. culture at the time. It was terrible. And yet this guy who was lesser than, was he an Uncle Tom because he I mean, what do you what would be an Uncle Tom for a Samaritan, I wonder? Like right. was he? See, the Samaritan by?
1: is supposed to be the person you hate. He's a stand in for the person you think is beneath you and has low moral qualifications
0: and can be the very thing that brings you back to life.
1: Right. And so (laughs) it's hard to know where the, there's just so much ignorance in that statement. I don't even know (laughs) how to parse it out because it's like, do you not even understand the story? Do you even know the story? Do you think the Samaritan is the one being rescued and you just don't know the story or do you, Cause depending on how you take it, it's like, well, you're saying cops' lives matter, or you're saying white people's lives matter, or you're saying black people's lives matter. I don't know what you're saying because <laughs> I don't know what you think the story means
0: because you can't fit it on a placard. No, what you're really trying to say in your heart is it's just trendy placards, just don't do it for me. Uh.
1: Sorry, yeah, it's it's it kills me how many things I just pass by now on Facebook and it's like I don't even know what you're trying to say, or maybe I do know what you're trying to say, but it's so ham-fisted that if, and if I stop and, you know, to use a now um, unpopular story as an illustration, but it's still a good one, is the the Tar Baby. You know, you take one, swipe it, you know, and you're gonna get stuck in it for days. (laughs) So it's not worth it. You just keep going. And uh, I don't know. It just seems like there's so little useful dialogue happening unless you're face-to-face or in some approximation of that. I don't know. Sometimes I just want to bail on the whole thing. There's
0: good reason to. Yeah. I mean, that's that's what we're missing right now with not being able to have community is... Mm -hmm. The reasons not to bail i mean
1: is the world a better place for twitter and facebook
0: i don't know i don't know i do like that my grandparents get to see my i see. my kids that's what
1: everybody always says right but but oh the price we pay <laughs> right
0: and that's something too that i it i see so starkly right now is I always believed that there's no such thing as a perfect solution. Mm-hmm. And so to hear people present solutions, yeah. which is rare, but when they do, it's like, it's an end all be all can do no wrong solution. And that's where, that's where I pause. It's like, you've told me all the things it's going to do for me. And this is like listening to uh Congress people talk about a, a bill. This is going to, this is going to fund teachers and all this other mm-hmm. stuff. It's like, okay, so what are the bad things it does? There are no bad things. It's like, <laughs> stop lying. Let's talk about what the real thing is, because then yeah. we can actually have a discussion about it. Yeah. Um, and we're seeing that as a... We're adopting it as a
1: mm-hmm. an
0: individual way of approaching the world. Mm-hmm. Very absolutist. Very... And that's somehow a
1: way to solve incredibly complex problems.
0: Just a monkey with a wrench beating on a he- yeah. helicopter. <laughs> I mean, it's just... <laughs> Uh, I mean, at least just, I don't mind people being the monkey with the wrench beating on the helicopter, but at least admit that's what you are. Right. Right. One of the things I wanted to ask too, and we can maybe close with this one. um, The biggest thing that I see, because I've worked in security to some extent in the past, I've been in places where it is very easy to become Racist, you've got really, yeah. It's, mm-hmm. Let me qualify this. There's no good reason to become a racist, but there can be understandable ones. Mm-hmm. If a particular race beats up on you because you're a particular race for long enough, mm-hmm. you might just hate that race. Yeah. We're putting cops in a position to have to do the most virtuous thing every day, as far as I can tell, they're gonna see couples beating each other up, go to help them, and then they get attacked, right? Right. This is their day to day. I have personally experienced times where I went to try to calm an aggressor down and they played dramatically to a camera as if I was wounding them, Mm -hmm. right? It's because of my complexion, my shade of humanity as I like to call it now, I was targeted in that moment. And when that, if it was a one-time thing, right? I probably wouldn't even bring it up. I'd just say this is a crazy story. right? But it was happening to the point where it became a norm. Yeah. But tomorrow, there's going to be a bunch of cops that still have to go out and do their mm-hmm. job. What would you say to them right now with all of this going on?
1: Yeah, I think it's a huge problem. I think, I mean, we've seen that with, you know, with every major war we've been in. Guys that come back with these, you know, they've been killing people of a with certain level of military toning in their skin for however long they've been over there and that's the enemy. That's the enemy. And then all of a sudden they're supposed to turn that off. And, um, I think cops go through the same thing. I've talked to police officers before and they talk about that. And it's interesting. Like if you look at the, um, statistics, what's almost not reported at all is contact rates. Like if, and it's, a hu- it's, it's the number you have to have to make a real correlation statistically between, like, let's say a police, you know, precinct has way more violent encounters with black people than white people. Well, the next question you got to f- ask is, well, how many contacts is a given police officer, if, is that police officer having with people of that color so that you can correlate them? and that number is almost not anywhere but it, to me it's huge not just to for the statistics but it's to understand like that means if if th- that means this police officer is having uh, you know however many negative encounters with a black person every single day not any positive ones because of his job that's his interactions with those people are negative every day and how do how does how how does someone guard themselves against exactly what you're describing is a kind of unseen, slow, gradual perception, a
0: jadedness, right. that festers.
1: Which where now every time you roll up on a car that has, and it might be a Latino, then you're having negative every. Maybe you're down at the border, and every day. You're having horrible interactions with people from Mexico and all of a sudden you roll up on a car and it's got people from Mexico in it and what what's happening? his heart rate's going up, he's tensing up, adrenaline's pumping and he's not, (laughs) and this is like, it's an autonomic response. And I think it's a huge problem that nobody's really addressing is how do you guard your heart against that guard in your soul. And even in your mind, your body chemistry from if I, if every time I walk up to you, I slap you. And then, I mean, I used to, it's, my brother, old brother, older brother used to do this to me all the time. That's what it makes me think about Is we'd pass each other in the hallway and he would give me a little punch in the stomach <laughs> as brothers do. He's, he's a great guy, but that's what he used to do. I would have done the same to him. But, and after a while it got where he didn't have to, punch me in the stomach every time he passed me I would just go like that <laughs> and flinch you know yeah. and he would laugh ha, ha, you know and Pavlov. And I, I wonder how much to, you know how much of that has to do with some of the stuff we're seeing is these kind of conditioned responses and instead of demonizing some of those guys recognizing that that's a problem and finding ways maybe you move people around where you're not working the same area all the time I don't know what the answer to that is but I know I've I've talked to police officers that have been in our church before and that this is why they quit is they worked for a while and they realized this is what they were doing is that they were not like when they encountered people of what you know if they were in a area working an area of town that was predominantly African American all of their interactions because they're not going to Cops don't get called for to have parties. <laughs> they get called when bad things are happening. And he said he realized that that's what was going on in his head, and he just couldn't do it anymore.
0: I've seen it go past race and into humanity itself. Mm-hmm. Eventually yep. you just... It just broadens. You just hate everybody who's not mm-hmm. you eventually. Yep. Uh, it's a very bleak perspective, but yep. it's also again it's what they see every day when you don't see the light Mm -hmm. what would be some words of encouragement for those people do you think
1: I think the only I think it's one of the functions of the Holy Spirit is to keep our heart soft to me it's it's a it's a kind of hardening of the heart when that's happening and to keep your heart soft means to remain vulnerable on some level of to getting hurt. And for most people, that's kind of an emotional thing, right? Of, well, I'm gonna to continue to love people even though I'm gonna to continue to love men even though my husband hurt me. And that's risky because I could get hurt again. But for somebody like in the military or a police officer, that could be a physical thing. And it's even harder, in, I think and but that's what we have to do to me it's not it's allowing your walk with god and inviting the holy spirit probably every single day to keep your heart soft and i think that's the only way and that because he can let you see past the immediate visual perceptions of people and see who people really are um
0: I mean, you're calling people to willingly be hurt. Yep. You're calling people to have hope Mm -hmm. when many of them have gotten to the point, whether it's the cop engaging in certain activities Mm -hmm. or the oppressed minority being oppressed repeatedly by the same groups. You're asking, you're actually asking them right now, if I'm hearing you right. Mm hmm. Be willing to go get hurt tomorrow.
1: Yep. I mean, what and it, hope for the good, right? And and if that, either that or you quit. I mean, goodness, those are horrible choices. But if if you can't do that, to me, that would be. I mean, I'm trying to put myself in the person in, in their shoes, and I think what I would be saying to myself is, if I wake up one day and I find that I can't that I am, my heart is now hard (laughs) and it's closed off and I can't find anyone to extend, to open my heart to that I'm working around, Then I got to do something else because I can't live that way. Um, Because that's a, to me, that's a very dangerous place to be. You're either gonna fall on one side into utter despair and hopelessness, right? As you're saying, like, extrapolate your experience so wide that all of humanity is broken and unredeemable, and um, and you check out, you know, emotionally, physically, suicide, you know, or you go the other way into pure malevolence against all the world. (laughs) Right, I'm gonna go wreck the world because I've decided they're all evil, and I'm gonna I'm gonna do that, and so become the avenging angel of your own bitterness, and so those are two non-starters for me. I don't want to, I wouldn't want to end up in either place. The avenging angel of your own yeah. bitterness. It's like I know I know a lot of pastors, I and mean, this is a less um, A lesser example but who have experienced so much rejection from their own churches that we're seeing that all all the time now they just don't they don't just bail on the church and say well I'm not gonna pastor you if you don't want me to pastor you I'll go somewhere else they say I'm just not gonna be a Christian anymore (laughs) and they just I'm out so they go from pastoring a church to atheist And you go, why does that happen? It's the same process to me, is just the slow hardening of your heart against people which widens and widens and widens until it's all-encompassing, and it's a dark thing. And I I think it's frustrating to me that not many people are talking about it. It's the oversimplification of, because as soon as you start talking about understanding, like you, you said, it's not, there's no reason for there's no good reason for it, but as you can understand it, as soon as you start talking about understanding the problem because it's complicated, um, and you remove the caricature of a racist that we see on TV and in movies, who's a old white redneck with a wife beater T-shirt on, and he's all he's all sweaty and gross and loud and abrasive and he's just yelling the n-word constantly and then eventually he gets his in the movie right that's not those people exist but that's not the real that's not the real face of racism and to oversimplify it i think is is horrible and so my heart goes out to people that are in that situation and his hearts are breaking and they're having i mean who wants to be a police officer right now I mean, I wouldn't sign up for that. They're talking about taking Chase off
0: of Paw Patrol.
1: Yeah, I know. It's like...
0: Number one thing you want to do when the world thinks all cops are bad is or when cops might feel like their good deeds are going Mm -hmm. unseen is, yeah, obviously, let's take off the examples of cops doing it right. Right.
1: Remove the positive examples of police officers from children being able to see it's madness and that's an example to me of good intentions making it worse somebody's meaning to do well and do they're being empathetic and what can i do what do i have power over that i can make a change and they're running that show and they go let's get rid of (laughs) this character it's like no it makes it worse yeah
0: it, we need heroes. Mm-hmm. I think we've destroyed a lot of the old good stories that helped teach us to be yeah. heroes in our lives. And the scale that you described a minute ago with it being a pastor, but it also being the same mechanism as mm-hmm. a cop. Not only do we need more people being willing to be heroic mm-hmm. and being aware that to be heroic, you have to be willing to be hurt. Mm-hmm. Even when it's likely. Yep. Because me, for me, that's marriage when it starts going sour, right? Yeah. Every day, I'm going to choose to believe that this will work out for the best, mm-hmm. even though I've got no reason not to. Right. And there's no, the the scale level of choosing to be a hero or choosing to be a racist, mm-hmm. I think, is infinite. Right. Tiny little choices, yep. big choices. And do you think there's a way that we can start to see those small opportunities to choose to be a hero better?
1: Yeah, I think it's, it's got to start maybe with recognizing where your temptations are to be hard hearted, you know, whether it's, you know, um, I mean, you, you know, your past, you know, the people or it might be a specific person or types of people it could be all men because your father beat you you know there's all kinds of categories that we but recognizing that and going okay to fight that I'm gonna go against the hardness and reach out and do something maybe just risk a tiny little act of vulnerability with that person that hurt me. I've, I've, a lot of people have been hurt by men or pastors and when those people in my time pastoring a church have been willing to tell me that story, just telling the story to me and realizing oh yeah, you see me <laughs> that's how you, you see me standing in for that person that pastor that you know, sexually abused you in in the church building. And now you've come back to church and or and and you know, fifty years later and now you're telling me about it. It's not just you telling me about it. It's that you're just opening your heart just a little bit to a representative of that person. And now my response has got to be right. <laughs> You know, at least
0: not reinforcing the old, or it might be just,
1: you know, the husband thing or the father thing, or, and so recognize, I think that I, as a white man, um, it's not just me that people see, you know, to bring it back around to where we were, however long ago it was, but it's not just me. People see it's a stand in for other things and how I act in response to that person is super important and then being willing to kind of overcome that hardness and that bitterness to risk a little bit of openness. I think that's how you heal it. And so, you know, the going back to the cop who's every day on a, a beat that exposes him to negative interactions with one set of people. When maybe one thing that guy can do is find a way in his workday day or not in his work day to go have some positive interactions with people like that, you know, yeah. and, and do kind of put effort into that to make war against the hardness in his heart that he feels growing towards that group of people. Um,
0: you're talking about something that's the hardest for anybody to do though, to super, believe that it's crazy hard, to believe that they can want to become right, bad, right. that, I think that's a naivety Mm -hmm. that you have to overcome and that might be the hardest thing about the whole process. Mm -hmm. It's just like riding a bike, getting up on it or skiing, getting up on the skis is the hardest part.
1: Yeah. Yeah. This is the same dynamic that's happening in this little group of pastors I'm in is watching the, having the, for me, one of the things that's happened to me is the revelation of how hard it is when the, Black pastor is talking about what it's like to be him to a room full of white dudes. And seeing him nervous because he's having to risk, he's battling his own bitterness, right? His own story (laughs) by talking about his own story in front of these, these guys who could, we could, and it's a holy moment, right? Where you recognize this person's risking something to open up this to me and I've got to respond, you can't respond casually to that. You have to be able to say, I realize that's hard for you to even talk about and I'm honored that you talked about it and receive it Um, or you risk making it horribly worse (laughs) in that moment.
0: It's dangerous. Holy moments. Yeah. That is the coolest thing that I can think of to label it so that it's small and easy and I can notate it later. Mm-hmm. The holy moments throughout the day and it's where it's an, inter- it's an interplay. You've got the one person being vulnerable and you've got the other person striving to do the rightest thing they can in mm-hmm. response. Those are holy moments. That is a really cool thing. Mm-hmm. Ben, I know we've gone along, really appreciate you. It's been a great talk. We're not going to go four hours this time. All right. (laughs) (laughs) Love you, brother. Love you too, man. And uh, yeah, can't wait to have you back and can't wait to be back in the congregation. I know. Doing the usual routine. I know. It'd
1: be nice to have one. Right? A routine.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, thanks a lot. Uh, Thanks, everybody, for watching and listening. Uh, Really appreciate you. And uh, if you think of it, if you run into a holy moment, send it in, sharing those with each other and with this this channel, whatever this podcast experiment is would be really encouraging. Thanks, thanks Ben.
1: Yeah, thank you. Scene. And scene. <laughs>